Uh, and the subject of what is faith. Now, I want to talk now today about how we bring faith into the challenges of everyday life. The reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The wife of a man from the community of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, you and your sons, can live on what is left. I was, uh, we've, this holiday, we've been out lots and lots and lots with grandchildren. I expect a lot of your grandparents have had to do the same. And uh, we were on a journey, and uh, one of my grandsons um, was all the way looking down at his game console playing some sort of game intensely looking down the whole of the time. And uh, I turned to him, and, and uh, I still kept my eye on the road, but I turned to him and said, um, do you know, Owen, I said, if I did what you're doing for two or three minutes, I would be travel sick. I could not look down and read something while a passenger in a car without becoming travel sick. When I was 15, my friend John and I, we caught a ferry to Guernsey for a week's holiday together. And unfortunately that day it was blowing a force eight. And uh, I spent the whole journey throwing up over the side. It was an awful experience. So when it comes to boat travel, I like it calm. And when it comes to road travel, I like it smooth. Now, when it comes to life, if I could choose, I would like it calm and smooth as well, wouldn't you? But you and I both know, all know, that life's not like that, is it? Life's not one smooth, easy road at all. Abraham, the man of God, man of faith, the friend of God. He experienced famine in the land. 
Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and wrongly, falsely imprisoned. King David was constantly surrounded by his enemies. And then when you get to the New Testament, the disciples were frequently arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. So much for life being calm and smooth and easy. Jesus said in John 16:33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm so glad of that. This woman in 2 Kings 4 was having trouble. And it wasn't just raining upon her, it was pouring upon her. And I want us to look first of all at her trouble. Uh, under my heading, When Life Gets Tough. 2 Kings 4, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. Note, first of all, that this family was a godly family. Her husband revered the Lord, and she must have done too, or she wouldn't have been on her way to see the prophet of God. Some have suggested that this lady was the wife of Obadiah, Ahab's steward, from 1 Kings 18.4. Similar phrases are used to describe Obadiah in uh, 1 Kings 18. Both the Jewish Targum, Josephus, uh, the Jewish historian, also um, Ephraim Cyrus, a theologian of about two, three, four hundred years after Christ, they all believed that this man was Obadiah. In 1 Kings 18.4, we read, when Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Perhaps this woman was reminding Elisha that she was in poverty, that all this had come upon her because of the generosity and kindness of her husband in looking after the prophets of God. Now, we don't know that for sure. It's just a, a theory, a possibility that some uh, think likely. But what we do know for sure that this godly family suffered bereavement, poverty, debt, and worse now, they were about to suffer slavery. Now I have to tell you, I've, in 40 years of pastoring, seen many Christians fall away from walking with the Lord and going to church because trouble has come into their lives. Only a few weeks ago I was talking to someone who um, told me that they didn't walk with the Lord anymore. I knew that. I knew they didn't go to church. And he said, do you know I've got a bitterness in my heart that I just can't get over? Now, to be fair to that person, they'd received some pretty serious setbacks and disappointments. And to be quite honest, some Christians who should have known better 
let them down badly. They blame God, they blame the church, they blame Christians, and bitterness had taken root. I want to say this morning, don't get bitter. It'll only destroy you. This woman did something else, and that's the best thing to do. She took her problem to the Lord through the prophet Elisha. The word uh, there, she cried unto the prophet, I looked that up. Uh, you know, in the Hebrew stuff and, and tried to discover what that means. And, and it means literally to moan or weep uncontrollably, to shriek out in grief. This woman wasn't just politely asking. She was in a desperate state. It describes someone with a broken heart. She comes to the man of God at the lowest point in her life. She's in dire straits. Note too the fact that this woman and her husband worshipped God did not stop suffering coming into their lives. As I've said, she suffered bereavement, poverty, debt, and now the risk of losing her sons. I want to talk a bit about suffering before getting on to the miracle that happened. And I want to say, I don't want to try and simplify the problem of suffering. I don't know anyone who can. I don't understand, and I want to be honest with you, I don't understand why one day God works a miracle in my life, and yet another day allows me to go through a storm of suffering and problems. I don't understand that. Let me come back to that. A few years ago, my wife and I were shopping uh, one evening in Tesco's. It was late for us to go shopping, about eight or nine at night. We'd got a trolley fairly full of groceries in one of the middle uh, aisles of the store. When my mobile went, it was the husband of a little uh, family. They had a three-month-old daughter. And in his faltering voice, he said to me, Pastor, we're at the hospital. The baby's just died. We left that trolley where it was in the middle of the hospital, in the middle of the Tesco store, rushed to the hospital to console them. Two weeks later, I was in my study preparing the funeral service. And I knew because there were West Indians that People would travel from all over and the church would be packed and many people would be asking the question, why? I knew that well-worn cliches just would not do, neither could I dodge the issue. So I decided to begin by telling them all the things I didn't know. So I said, I want to tell you today I don't know why God allowed this baby to die. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know when we pray for folk why some people are healed and others are not. I don't know why some prayers seem to get immediate answers and others seem to bounce back off the ceiling. And I went through some of the things that I didn't know. And then I said, but you've not come here today to have me talk about what I don't know. 
let me tell you what I do know. And I said that I know God loves us. The cross shows me that. I know that he cares for us. Peter tells us that. He says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. And I went through all the wonderful scriptures that remind us that God is involved in our lives, cares for us, looks after us, has a plan, and so on. I want to tell you that the mother of that child didn't go bitter. She got up in that funeral service and in a beautiful singing voice sang that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. She sang, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. What a wonderful testimony she gave in singing that. Sometimes I have to say, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of crushing experiences, you just have to hold on to God in trust, even when you don't understand. I want to tell you I still don't have any easy answers to the problem of suffering. Don't misunderstand me. I've read C.S. Lewis's little book, The Problem of Pain, and many other books as well, and, and, and stuff that attempt to give us some answers to why God allows this or that to happen. But I want to be honest, I've not found any easy answers to it. But I know this. Jesus said, have faith in God. And that when I do, sometimes miracles happen. I know that I'm called to pray in faith, believing. And sometimes God says yes, and it's wonderful. And maybe sometimes he says no, and I have to accept that too. The Apostle Paul saw many tremendous miracles in his ministry. There's a, a marvelous little account in Acts 19, 11 to 12. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles, by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Yet when he prayed that the Lord would remove what he called his thorn in the flesh, the Lord answered, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want to tell you, sometimes you just have to submit your life to God and say, God, I don't understand this, but I trust in you. But I want to tell you this, I'm not going to stop believing for a miracle when I pray. Many of us then have been in the place that this woman in 2 Kings 4 was in, where we feel in total despair and crushed by our problems and circumstances. But he's there. God is there. It's then sometimes the tempter comes and he'll tempt you to uh, query, does God care? Does God know? But the Bible tells me he does. We used to sing an old chorus years ago. God, any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do just what no other can do. Don't stop believing God for a miracle. 
God is for us. I don't know. I don't know if it was you, Sarah, who uh, some weeks ago put a, on our church WhatsApp that quote from Spurgeon. Let me read it to you. If you didn't pick it up from there, this is a great quote. He says, "It is impossible for any human speech to express the full meaning of this delightful phrase: God is for me." He was for us before the worlds were made. He was for us or he would not have given his well-beloved son. He was for us when he smote the only begotten and laid the full weight of his wrath upon him. He was for us when we were ruined in the fall. He loved us notwithstanding all. He was for us when we were rebels against him and with a high hand were bidding him defiance. He was for us who would not have brought us humbly to seek his face. He has been for us in many struggles. We have been summoned to encounter hosts of danger. We have been assailed by temptations from without and within. How could we have remained unharmed to this hour if he had not been for us? Whatever you're going through today, I want to tell you God is for you. I want to talk next briefly about God in our resources. Elisha asks this woman what she has in the house. So she answers, your servant has nothing at all. Then almost as an afterthought, she suddenly remembers, oh, I've got a small jar of olive oil. First she overlooks it, then she diminishes it. Don't we do that with the Lord sometimes? We forget he's with us. The disciples did that. And sometimes we're like them. They were on the boat and the wind was blowing. The waves were crashing into the boat and they were beginning to sink. For a moment they forgot that Jesus was in the boat with them. And when they remembered that he was there, then they failed to perceive the importance and the power of his presence. When we're in a storm, that's exactly what I do sometimes anyway, and maybe you do too. So often, when we're in trouble, we say, there's nothing we can do, or there's no one can help. But if you've got Jesus in your life, you, there's never nothing you can do, and there's never nothing or nobody who can help. I like what one commentator wrote. He said, the oil was there, during the hard times. The oil was there in a time of great sorrow. The oil was there in their time of debt. The oil was there when nothing else was. I want to tell you, wherever you are in your circumstances today, if you belong to Jesus, he's there. He's there with you. And when we believe and trust in the power of the presence of Jesus and the power of God's word, God can work a miracle through the seemingly insignificant things. Samson was hopelessly outnumbered and he had no weapon to defend himself, but he found the jawbone of an ass and with it defeated a thousand men. Young David faced a giant with just five small stones and a sling. But with them, he slew the giant and delivered Israel from bondage. The disciples found a lad with five 
small loaves and two fish, but with it Jesus fed a multitude. When God touches something, however small, you never know what God's going to do. He'll work a wonder. What do you want God to touch in your life? Maybe it's your finances. Perhaps like this woman, you're at the point of desperation. I think the times we're living through right now, a lot of people are going to find themselves in that position in the months to come. Perhaps it's your family, a straying child, or marriage difficulties, or sickness in the family, or perhaps it's your ministry. Maybe you long to be more fruitful for God, or to find your gift, to know his anointing upon it. Or perhaps it's your job, or something else altogether. Joseph Scrivens wrote that super hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Have you noticed how he keeps all the way through and keeps telling us to take things to God in prayer? He starts off in the first word, uh, first verse. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And he says that in the next but one line too. Then when he talks about trials and temptations and discouragement, he says, take it to the Lord in prayer. And then when he talks about sorrows and weakness, he says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care, take it, he says, to the Lord in prayer. Friends despise you, you feel forsaken, he says, take it to the Lord in prayer. We've got to be people of prayer because when we pray and believe, miracles happen. When Jean and I felt the call to Bible college, we had a problem, a financial problem. Um, we, uh, the, the fees for me alone uh, for the college were £500 a year. And there was a two year, it was a two-year course in those days. And uh, there was no grant available from the council where I lived. And uh, it, that was the time when my wage of £32 a week was considered a decent wage. It was a huge financial problem. I had a wife and small daughter as well. So what did we do? We prayed. And uh, we had bought about a year before a small terraced house, but it couldn't have had much equity in it in such a short time. And we hadn't advertised that we, we were thinking of selling it and going to college. And one night after we'd prayed, there was a knock on the back door. Now, people always came to the front. because You had to go right through a lally and around a, a, a dark, Back, but there was this knock on the back door and two young people, smartly dressed young people, stood there. And they simply said, we want to buy your house. And they offered us more than twice what we paid for it. And we made enough to pay all the fees and to live on the rest right through college. When you pray, God can work a miracle. And finally, I just want to talk about the challenge to our faith. The prophet could have asked God to rain down money from heaven into this woman's lap, but he didn't, and God doesn't tend to work like that very often. 
Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars, don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, put it aside. So she did that, and then uh, he said, go sell what you have and live on the rest. This woman obeys the prophet's word and goes and borrows lots of empty vessels, she shuts the door upon herself and her sons, and I just kind of imagine the conversation going on. Mum, what are all these empty pots for? She picks up the little jar of oil, and it would have been a tiny jar used for anointing. So the commentators tell me. And she says, sons, We're going to fill all these jars with this. And they look at the little cruise of oil and look at all those empty vessels. And you can just imagine saying, Mum, that's never going to fill all these. But miracles can happen, you know. You know, we've got very limited freezer space at home. But my wife, I'm sure she thinks we're going to get snowed in every winter because she likes to keep it totally jam-packed full. But the trouble is, when Jeannie goes shopping, she can't refuse a bargain. Just can't. And uh, it's often the case, we come home from shopping, and she's got a big bag of frozen food, and she opens the freezer, and I look at those full drawers, I can't help it, I always have to say it, you're never gonna get all that in there. Well, that's like a red rag to a bull to my wife. So she pulls the drawers open and she empties them, stacks them one way, then tries them another, and and eventually somehow she always manages to jam it all in. Then she'll shut the door and she'll look up at me every time and say, David, you're wrong again. (laughs) Well, hey, I'm a husband, I'm used to hearing that. Uh, This woman was stepping out on the word of God against all the laws of physics, against all reason and rationale, believing in the impossible, all because God, through his prophet, told her to do so. And as Christians, can I just say this? As Christians, our faith is not against all rationale and reason. We have a firm foundation of evidence and truth that our faith is built upon. But it is through faith in God's word that we embrace those truths and accomplish impossible things. Do you know the early Christians were called believers? That's great, isn't it? They were called believers because they weren't doubters. They were believers. And we are called to be believers as well. We believe in the word of God here. Do you know, we don't often do that. I'm going to do something maybe you you don't often hear done in a Pentecostal church. I'm going to read one of the old creeds to you. The Nicene Creed, where the church began to formulate a statement of faith of what the word of God says. Listen to this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. 
I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he became down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became for our sake crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life giver, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, uh, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic, small c, meaning universal, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I'm glad they added amen on that. We believe in God's word, but my faith has to be practical too. It's through faith that I believe in the promise that God is with me. It is through faith I believe his promise that he will provide all my needs. Through faith I believe he'll use me to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. It's through faith I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit I can be a witness for him. It's through faith in his promise that I believe that Jesus Christ will build the church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's through faith that I believe that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, because God's word says so. And it's through faith I believe his promise that all who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved from sin and death and judgment. Through faith we take hold of and believe and pray for and see impossible things. This woman had faith in the word of God and obeyed it and saw a life-changing miracle that changed her present and her future. Last week I spoke about what faith is, but faith not just some theological study. It's belief in God's word that brings the power of God into human need. Close with this. Years ago I preached just before we finished our two-year Bible college course. I preached to the faculty and students. You had to do that just before... Uh, you left college on a Friday morning and I preached on the subject of trusting God in tough times. When I prepared that word, I had no idea that as I preached it, my wife would be in hospital suffering a miscarriage of our second child. But I'll never forget the uplifting presence of Jesus as at the end of that service we sang that wonderful hymn, Blessed Lord, in thee is refuge. The second verse says, In the past to unbelieving, midst the tempest I have been, and my heart has slowly trusted what my eyes have never seen. Blessed Jesus, teach me on thine arm to lean. Next verse says, All for trust that brings me triumph. 
when defeat seems strangely near. Oh, for faith that changes fighting into victory's ringing cheer. Faith triumphant, knowing not defeat nor fear. May we be men and women of faith who pray in faith, believe in faith, serve in faith, see what God can do. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, your encouragement to have faith in you. Even when we don't understand what we've been through or are going through, to know that you are there and you are for us. And Lord, that if we trust in you, that Lord, you have a plan and you have a way. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to rise to be men and women of faith in this place. That, Lord, we might see miracles of healings, miracles of salvation. Miracles happen because we believe in the power of your word. Father, we pray you bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.